Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we are one body in Christ Jesus. As we come before your word tonight, let us be renewed, strengthened in our faith, confessing Christ as Lord and Savior. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. During our Lenten series, we took a look at Jesus in the Old Testament. We saw that how in the Old Testament, the people and the prophecies were a foreshadow of what was to come and fulfilled and completed in Christ Jesus. And tonight we're actually going to make another connection between the Old Testament and the New, between Passover and the Lord's Supper, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now to gain that understanding, we are first going to have to go to the Passover. You also have sermon notes. They might be very helpful for you this evening. So let us go to the Passover. As you know, if you remember, in Exodus, the Israelites were under the yoke of slavery to the Egyptians. God called out Moses and told Moses to talk to the Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And the Pharaoh did not. His heart was hardened. He said, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, right? Went back and forth like that. And so God rained down plagues on them. There were nine specific plagues, some blood, uh, the Nile turning into blood, the locust, the hail, so forth. Yet Pharaoh would still not let the people go. So there's one last plague, the 10th plague. Do you remember that one? Every firstborn in every household, whether Egyptian or slave, would die that night unless certain preparations were made. So now let's go to the preparations. It's from our reading from Exodus. I want to read it again just so we are fresh with this. Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorpost door with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses." And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. This is the first Passover, the instructions from the Lord to Moses, to the people of Israel. And from this reading, there are five key points that will tie directly 
to the Lord's Supper. So in brief, let's talk about the Passover. The first one, that it was instituted by God. This was not a man-made ordinance. This wasn't something done out of conspiracy. Moses talking to his brother Aaron, anything like that. This came from the very lips of God himself. It had a very specific time and place in history. Thus says the Lord. And he said it was to be observed as a statute forever. This means it is a law. It is a command. Now you and I, in our day, with our laws, we think they pretty much don't mean anything, right? If you got a law, well, do you really observe it? Just think of uh, speed limits, right? They're suggestions, not really laws. And if we don't like a law, then we protest. And then we go to the legislature, and then we go to the courts, and we go all the way to the Supreme Court, and even then, if we don't want it, then, you know, right? Here, God said, it is my law, and no one can change that law except who? God himself. So that's the second part. It was to be a statute forever because it was commanded by God. The third is that Passover and sacrifice cannot be separated. You can't separate the Passover and not understand that there was also a sacrifice that had to go with it. They were told to get a lamb. Now, if their household, if you read further, if their household was very small, they couldn't afford it. They could even get a goat rather than a lamb, but it had to be a perfect lamb without blemish, without spot, for that sacrifice. And it was only because of the sacrifice and the blood that that house was spared. So the next point within this, this is number four, is that the blood was real. It wasn't symbolic. He didn't say, okay, you can't get any blood. Blood makes you squeamish. Fine, get some red paint, put it on the door, coloring crayons, whatever. said, no, it's got to be blood. And it had to come from a real animal. Because what does blood signify? signify? It means that there was a life given so a life would be spared. And this is what happened in Passover. In Passover, lives were truly spared. You shall say it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And I like what's written in here too, when the children, because you can hear this, you can hear the children say, why are we doing this again, right? That's what's written in there. And when your children say, what is this service? But you know how children are going to say that, right? Do we have to have Passover again? Yes. Because something real happened in history. In history, people's lives were spared by God. You see, you have to understand how important this is because nowadays, 
Nowadays, many historians and theologians deny the Passover, the Exodus. They say that's just kind of a myth sort of thing that actually happened. Scripture tells us it was real. People died because they did not have the blood of the lamb on their door. People lived because they did have the blood of the lamb on the door. So the Passover, five things here. It was instituted by God. It was to be observed forever. Passover and sacrifice cannot be separated. The blood was real and lives were spared. That's what you have to understand about the very first and very real Passover. Here it is. If you want to tie it all together, God graciously graciously spared those who had faith in him so that they could live in freedom, so they could be free from their bondage to slavery. That's what happened on Passover. Now let's go to the Lord's Supper. Verse 26 through 29 is the focus. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now let's draw the lines from the Passover to the Lord's Supper. The first is, is that it was instituted by Jesus, by God himself, as a new covenant. He says the word, covenant. This is my blood of the covenant. What is a covenant? It is a sacred promise. And it's a sacred promise instituted by God himself. You see, did God go to Moses or the Israelites and say, hey, do you think you like my covenant here? I'll keep it if you like it. I'll keep it if you agree with it. No, the covenant was enforced because of who God is. He said, I declare this covenant. Now, Jesus says that covenant is complete. And I'm giving you a new one which is a fulfillment of what the old showed you. This is what he says here. The old statute, the old covenant has been fulfilled and I am fulfilling it with a new covenant for you. That's the first that we can draw. So who instituted it? It was not man, it was God himself. The second point is that it was to be remembered and observed until his second coming. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. So how often should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Do this as often as you drink of it. Well, if you remember, we did a series this past summer, What is Church? We actually spent two weeks in the book of Acts on basically one verse. And they celebrated the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. 
And they celebrated it on which day? Sunday, which is the day of the resurrection. So traditionally, we celebrate it every week because that's what the church did. Now, is there a command that we must celebrate it every week? And no, there is not. So there is freedom in doing that. Many churches within the AFLC will do it once a month. Here, we do it once a week. Either is fine. To ignore it, though, is something we should not do. So, how long should we have it? Well, on this one, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink of it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And also in Luke, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So we are to celebrate it really until his second coming. Until we are with him in the kingdom. Because you know what we are? As the church talks about it in scripture, we are the bride of Christ. And who is the groom? It's Christ. And thus, in scripture, in Revelation, it talks about the wedding feast, right? And Jesus gives different different uh, parables and stories about this great feast and the wedding. And there's a celebration and we will eat and drink in that marriage celebration, in that full union that we have with him in heaven. On that day, we will say, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's what we're doing. We are making ourselves as the bride of Christ ready. And it says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. Isn't that wonderful? So we are to celebrate the Lord's supper until it is fulfilled with him in heaven. Now, there's one other part of this, though, I want to talk about. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. There's that word remembrance, right? So when we talk about remembrance, this is something that we don't understand. So if I say remember this, we think about just the memory part, right? Like recalling something. But in the Hebrew understanding of remembrance, it wasn't just something from far ago. It had a present effect. When we remember something, it is a present effect. The thief on the cross. What did he say to Jesus? He said, remember me when you come into my kingdom. Now, do you think he meant, Jesus, when you get to heaven, just think of me fondly? No, he says, I want to be there with you. That's the remembrance he's talking about. So when we talk about the Lord's Supper doing in remembrance for me, it's just not something that happened long ago. Like kids, you know, we'd say, oh, well, we just that happened long. No, no, it's the present effect of Christ himself in the Lord's Supper. Okay. Next connection. 
the Lord's Supper and the sacrifice of Jesus can never be separated. They are always together. To declare it as a remembrance without remembering what he did on the cross, without recognizing what he did on the cross, is to not understand the Lord's Supper. If you take away the sacrifice of Christ from the Lord's Supper, you take away the meaning of it all. This is what happened to the Corinthians, by the way. Do you remember the church in Corinth? The troubled church? Oh, they were just messed up totally. Do you remember what Paul chided them, rebuked, not chided, he rebuked them strongly? Do you remember what they were doing during the Lord's Supper? Eating like gluttons and getting drunk. That's what they were doing for the Lord's Supper. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand what you are celebrating. So he rebuked them as strongly as he could because it was grievous in nature. So let's recap so far, right? Three things, three points we've made. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus, by God himself. It was a new covenant that was to be remembered and observed until when? The second coming, when we see him in glory, and the Lord's Supper and sacrifice go hand in hand. To this point, all Orthodox Christian churches agree. If they do not agree on these points, I would suggest they have become somewhere like the church in Corinth. They've missed the boat somewhere along the way. All churches should agree on this point, on these three points. Now, there are two other points, though, where we do diverge from the churches. The body and blood are truly present, not just symbolic. Here's the crux of the matter. Everybody believes that Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. And that has bothered people ever since he said that. Because how are we to understand that? Many churches, the Baptists, Methodists, and others, will say something like, he meant to say, he meant to say, this symbolizes my body. This symbolizes my blood. I'm using a metaphor here to help you understand. And actually, that's what they would do. So not being unfair about that all, it's an analogy, a metaphor. Because they take a look at it and say, well, you know what, the wine still tastes like wine, and the bread still tastes like bread, so he must have meant as an analogy or metaphor. But here's the problem. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. And in the language, in the original language of the Greek, how it is written in here, grammar is important, is can only mean it is. It can never mean in this context how it's written, it represents or is it a metaphor for something else. Luther was adamant upon this point because this is what the text actually says. So, 
Here's the problem, right? Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. It still tastes like bread. It still tastes like wine. So how do we understand this? The Catholic Church, and I appreciate their struggle with this, because we all have this tension built in here. They believe that there's something called transubstantiation. Transubstantiation means that it changes in substance, or the essence, the elements change, but the accidental, what's called accidental parts, so which would be the sight, the smell, the taste, they don't change. So they have tried to deal with this tension by actually combining philosophy from Aristotle into this. And I can appreciate that, because he said, this is my body, this is my blood. Well, how do we understand that? Here's what we do. This is from Luther's small catechism. It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by himself for us Christians to eat and drink. When we say that Christ's body and blood is truly present, we do not mean it symbolically. Does the bread still taste like bread? Yes. Does the wine still taste like wine? Yes. So how does that work? We let the word of God stand. We do not, we do not try to attempt to explain how it is, only that it is. And so we trust in God's word when he said, this is my blood, this is my body. We take him at his word. And we do not try to resolve the tension. Luther said this in the large catechism. He said, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in and under the bread and wine which we Christians are commanded by Christ's words to eat and drink. And just as we have said of baptism that is not mere water, so we say here too that the sacrament is bread and wine, but not mere bread and wine, such as served as a table. Rather, it is the bread and wine set within God's word and bound to it. In baptism... The water's water, right? I've talked about this in our education hour. I now get it from the filtered tap, right? That's where I get it. So it's at least filtered, right? But it's still water. Well, what makes that water able to do anything? It is the word of God. And through the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, it washes, renews, and regenerates. How does that actually happen? I trust God and his word. With the bread and the body, what is declared? What's declared is forgiveness of sin. How can bread and wine do such thing? By themselves, they cannot. 
But with God's word and through the power of God, they do exactly as they say. Thus, we say baptism is a visible means by which we receive forgiveness of sin. The Lord's Supper is a visible means by which we receive forgiveness of sin. This is the Lord's Supper. And this is the main point then going on here. Uh, The Lord's Supper, in the Lord's Supper, life and salvation is given through the forgiveness of sin. From Luther's small catechism, for where there is forgiveness of sin, there's also life and salvation. And so thus in faith, we come to be strengthened and nourished by the Lord's Supper. Even though you and I are in Christ, even though we're in Christ, we still stumble and fall, right? I admit that fully. That's why I'm saying, although I know I'm higher than you right now because I'm standing up on a, but I'm no higher than anyone else. I'm saved by grace. So I come to the Lord's Supper and I receive forgiveness of sin just like everyone else. This is the Lord's Supper. So let us take a look. It was instituted as a new covenant. It is to remember and observe until the second coming. And the Lord's Supper and sacrifice of Jesus cannot be separated. The body and blood are truly present, not just symbolic. And it is salvation, forgiveness of sin. Can you make the parallels now to the old to the Passover? What happened in the Passover? God passed over the sins. There was forgiveness because of the blood of Christ, because of the body. We have forgiveness of sin. This is what we celebrate. So now, how must you receive this? What must you do to receive and prepare yourself for the Lord's Supper. I read this sometimes. I'm going to read it in its entirety tonight. This is the exhortation. In order that you may receive this holy sacrament in a worthy manner, you should carefully consider what you must now believe and do. From the words of Christ, this is my body which is given for you. This is my blood which is shed for you for the remission of sins. You should believe that Jesus Christ is present in his body and blood as the words declare. From the words, from Christ's words, for the remission of sins, you should also believe that Jesus gives to you his body and blood to strengthen your assurance that your sins are forgiven. And finally, you should do as Christ commands when he says to you, take, eat, drink of it, all of you. This do in remembrance of me. If you believe these words of Christ and do as he has commanded, then you have properly examined yourselves and may eat Christ's body and drink his blood in a worthy manner. You should also unite in giving thanks to Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for so great a gift. And you should love one another with a pure heart. And thus, with the whole Christian church, have comfort and joy in Christ Jesus our Lord. To this end, may God the Father give you his grace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.